Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and the lightning thief Connie is going to tell us about Johnny Lewis. Yeah. First, I want to let everyone know, sorry for the delay as usual. Um, <laughs> my daughter was hospitalized with croup, and it was like pretty gnarly and severe. Her like windpipe closed. It was very traumatizing for all involved. So we are on the mend, and we're back. So here we go. Today, we are going to talk about another pretty well-known case, um, but one that I've been thinking about because I started re-watching Sons of Anarchy on my flight to and from Mississippi, which is like my Dash of Trash show that I really like to watch. <laughs> I've never watched it, for the record, ever. Mm, you're missing. You, I just ha- I just love that. I just love it. Like, <laughs> I would have been... I would have been an old lady in a previous life or a future life, whichever. At some point, I'm going to be an old lady. <laughs> at, some lady at some point, I'm going to be an old lady. <laughs> uh-huh. And the story of Johnny Lewis leaves the question, how does someone have it all get to the point that Lewis got to? Because this is a wild ride, guys. Johnny Kendrick Lewis was born on October 29th, 1983 to parents Michael and Davina Lewis in Los Angeles, California. A middle child, he grew up in a Jewish-oriented household in North Hollywood and Sherman Oaks. His family also practiced Scientology. His dad um, worked at like a therapy place that, like a treatment facility where they used Scientology in their treatment. Um, his parents reached the highest level in Scientology, known as operating theatin, which, according to the writings of Scientology is someone in a spiritual state who, quote, offers knowing and willing cause over life, thought, matter, energy, space, and time. And I am assuming this is what Tom Cruise is in Scientology. And I'm I, don't, sh- I know I know nothing, nothing about yeah. yeah. I just know that like a lot of rich celebrities practice Scientology. I don't know what it means. I don't know what they believe. I might have to read a book about it because now I'm kind of intrigued after like reading about this This case case. but i still have no idea what the (laughs) no i don't either so but we'll say theatins equal tom cruise yeah johnny started going to auditions when he was about six i just think in hollywood that's kind of like the mandalorian this is the way like he just (laughs) (laughs) it's like if you're a kid you might as well just go you never know his first role came at the age of seven when he was cast in an escalator safety video Some of his younger credits include spots on Seventh Heaven, Malcolm in the Middle, Drake and Josh. When Lewis turned 18, he moved to an area known in Hollywood as the Wilton Hilton, a sort of frat row for young Hollywood. Some of the stars who have lived there are Adam Brody, Ashley Simpson, Brett Harrison. Notoriously, from 2005 to 2006, Lewis dated Katy Perry. This was as Katy Perry was really rising to fame starting to really cement her way into the pop star that she is today. Uh-huh. That was like, I kissed a girl lady. That was Katie Perry. Lady Katy Perry. <laughs> lady Katy Perry. <laughs> lady Katy Perry. Um, the relationship between the two is said to have left a lasting impression on Katy Perry because it is rumored that at least two of her songs, The One That Got Away and Circle the Drain, are at least partly about Lewis. The couple made several red carpet carpet appearances together and they seemed to be really in love with each other but Katy perry just wanted to focus on her career as a queen does and should Mm -hmm. lewis is described as being loved by everyone 
His best friend, director Doug Usher, said that he was incredibly talented. He was loved by everybody. He really merged with different groups of people well. He fit in everywhere. He was not described as a hard partier. In fact, at parties, he would likely be found reciting poetry instead of like popping bottles. He was a guy that would rather just talk philosophy with you and play chess until the early hours of the morning instead of being at these ragers that we often see with a young Hollywood lifestyle. Lewis landed roles as he aged into adulthood on The O.C., Bones, CSI, my favorite show of all time, Criminal Minds, and the role that really put him on the map, Sons of Anarchy. Appearing in the first two seasons of Sons of Anarchy, Lewis played an up-and-coming member of the club who did all of the grunt work as he tried to get patched in. His character, Halfsack, got his nickname because he had lost one of his testicles while serving in Iraq. And I remember watching the second season finale and being so pissed. Oh, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, he dies in the second season. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> That's fine. I remember watching the second season season finale and being like, what the hell? Because his death kind of came out of nowhere. He died. Try He was like stabbed trying to save Jax's son. And it seemed so random. And even though like his character had like a very strong moral compass. So it was like on par for him to go out like that. It was just very like he was such a popular character. And that was right. He was supposed to have a long running like career on the show. But um Kurt Sutter, the show's creator, said that he just wanted to be out of his contract. And even after intense negotiations, he still was like, no, this isn't for me anymore. And his dad said that he wanted out because of the increasing severity of the violence on the show. And he didn't want to be locked in under like that genre or make that type of television. So Sutter found a noble way for him to go out. And I think that makes everything that we're going to be talking about here soon, like that much more mind-boggling the fact that he didn't want to be on a show because of the violence but he also committed horrific violence himself oh no kidding i'm intrigued lewis would appear in a few indie low-budget films following his departure from sons of anarchy but he would never return to television instead he was living off of the money that he made from sons of anarchy to spend time finishing his novel which was about um, an up-and-coming musician, like, trolloping through San Francisco. He had begun dating Diane Marshall Green, and in 2009, he found out that she was pregnant with their first child. His daughter, Cullah May, was born on April 6, 2010. The couple had spit, split romantically prior to her birth, but they were really committed to raising their child together, so they moved into an apartment so that both could have equal roles in their daughter's life. But eventually the arrangement soured and Lewis moved out of the apartment. And it wasn't long after moving out that he found himself in a long and drawn out custody battle that he would eventually lose. October 30th, 2011, Lewis lost control of his motorcycle near 29 Palms, California. He was checked out for a concussion. And when the signs came back, like the test came back negative, he was allowed to leave. His dad noticed that his son's behavior became erratic and bizarre, and his dad was really worried that he had suffered brain damage as a result of the accident, which is likely. His dad scheduled two MRIs, which Lewis refused to go to, and at first his behavior was just more or less of more, he was eccentric, like more eccentric. He was in an acting class, and he talked the whole time in this break or this vague British accent, but he didn't even seem to notice what his friends were talking about when they were asking about it. And this isn't the British accent that we do when we start drinking. This is fake. <laughs> it's different. Just, 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> I just had to clarify that since we are. <laughs> I was thinking that. I was like, oh, just like, Us. no, I'm not going to do it, but I got you. On the morning of January 3rd, 2012, he told his parents that he was going for a walk. He had spent the morning with his parents in their Northridge condo that he had bought for them. And after his mom made breakfast, he headed out for a walk in pajama pants and a t-shirt. He walked by a nearby condo and thought he heard cries of distress, so he broke in. But the place was completely empty. Not long after getting there, two men asked him, like they arrived and they were like, hey, dude, like get the hell out of here. And Lewis attacked the men with an empty Perrier bottle hitting them both in the head with this bottle. The fight ended up on the outside patio with Lewis biting one of the men as he tried to get away. They were able to detain him until the police got there, but he was beat severely. Like he got his ass kicked. And I want to stress that up until this point, there was never any sign of Lewis being a physically violent person. The kind, poetic, eccentric philosopher seemed to have disappeared in this one instance, and he never returned again. After this specific fight? After this specific fight. Not after a little, like, motorcycle accident? No. Like, he was, he didn't, even after, like, his behavior became, like, more eccentric and kind of bizarre, he wasn't violent until this incident. Okay. Lewis claimed that he was acting in self-defense. Police charged him with trespassing, burglary, and assault with a deadly weapon, and he was sent to the Twin Towers Jail. Three days later, his behavior landed him in the psychiatric ward as a 5150. Um, And if you don't know what that is, that's like when they make you go. You don't Mm -hmm. have a choice in the matter. Um, He was there for three days. When his father bailed him out, his discharge summary read, Chief Complaint, Blunt Head Trauma and Suicidal. While he was in there... The, re- the main reason he got sent to the- for the 5150 hold is because he was just slamming his head up against the cement wall. Just like, bam, Ugh. bam, bam. Just like constantly. After a total of eight days behind bars, Lewis returned to his parents' house in Northridge. He was a physical and mental wreck. He, like I said, he had gotten his ass kicked. His face was puffy. He had two big black eyes. He wouldn't let anyone touch him. He wouldn't let anyone go near him. He was suddenly sensitive to light and began turning off all of the lights in the house. He disabled the fuse box. So like he, there was no lights on at all. Um, his sister, Anna, said that he acted and looked like a wounded, broken animal. The following weeks were kind of just a barrage of like self-destruction. Um, he tried to take his life by suicide. Um, he had slit his wrist. His family and friends, like they tried to keep a close eye on him. Um, and by the end of that January, he seemed like he was becoming more and more stable. His father was like, okay, you can live on your own. So he moved to Santa Monica. But trouble started like immediately after he moved in. February 10th, he was arrested for just slugging a man in the face outside of a, co- a yogurt shop, like out of nowhere. Um, he had $20,000 bail, which he was released on. Just a few days later, he walked with all of his clothes on into the ocean in Santa Monica. And this is January. He was hospitalized with hypothermia. Just the next week, he was arrested again. He tried to break into a woman's apartment in Santa Monica. He said that he was trying to get to it. He thought he was at his friend's house. Again, released on bail. One of his friends picked him up from like one of his many court appearances in May of 2012 and said that he looked like 
his friend had a look that he has only seen in veterans disturbed from war. His memory was all over the place. When he talked to you, he would bounce back and forth from like lucid, coherent conversation to like completely incoherent. You didn't know what he was even talking about, what scenario he was talking about. He was prescribed the drugs Zyprexa and Abilify, two drugs that are used to treat schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, but he wanted no part of taking any of the medications. He would cheek them, so he would just put them in his cheek and then just spit them out later. And part of the problem was he did not have a clear diagnosis for bipolar or schizophrenia. Um, His dad thought maybe he was suffering from a traumatic brain injury. He had the motorcycle in like accident. He was hit 17 times in the like in the head during the break in scuffle. He and like I said, he spent his time in jail mashing his head into the concrete wall. Yes. Um, His psychiatrist diagnosed him with brain trauma. Like I said, the brain injury like from his previous release. Uh And as we know, and we've discussed at nauseum here on the podcast, head trauma can trigger behavioral changes in a person. If you injure the frontal lobes, you can have significant changes in behavior, irritability, impulse control problems, and at the extreme end, violent outburst. Dr. Christopher Giza, a neuroscientist at the UCLA Brain Injury Research Center, said that Lewis's dad described the symptoms following the motorcycle accident as headaches and being sensitive to light, which correlates more with a mild injury like a concussion versus like severe brain injury that would trigger the violent behavior but he never had an mri and with lewis acting like in this psychosis type of state who's to say what he was really experiencing and i know i'm not a doctor and i know people are gonna like you need to stop like trying to diagnose people because you're not a doctor we're not we're just talking about it (laughs) it's like this is conversation this is a conversational (laughs) podcast I am talking to Meg like I would talk to her on my couch. Like, but you know what? It is really weird that he had no history of behavior. Like, and again, this is not typical for every person diagnosed with bipolar disorder. I am speaking in my experience with people that I love and care about who are bipolar. And it was not something. There were little signs before he actually got his diagnosis that you could be Looking back, you could be like, oh, yeah, there it is. Like, there's the mania. There's the depression. Like, these are these ups and downs. These are the outbursts. This is the impulse control. And for someone who had never had that before, and then all of a sudden he's experiencing all of these things, like, I would say, like, there was some traumatic brain injury somewhere. Yeah. He was able to swap jail time for time in a treatment center, but Lewis didn't seem to have a substance abuse problem. In fact... Because, spoiler alert, you can still get drugs in American jails, or any jails for that matter, except for maybe <laughs> Russia. Um, a friend of his <laughs> Probably said that. there, too. A friend of his said that whenever drugs were offered to Lewis, he was like, no, nah, man, that's not for me. And he wouldn't take, but he wouldn't take, like, his prescribed medications either that might have made him. No, there. no. Um, on May 23rd, 2012, after spending two months in jail, he was transported to Ridgeview Ranch in the foothills of Altadena. Is that how you say that? Sure. Sure. Today it is. <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong. I know you guys love to. I know you love it. Do it. Please. Um, some of the activities there, because this is California therapy. This isn't Indiana therapy. We have <laughs> yoga, meditation, art therapy. Um, Ridgeview is described as a dual diagnosis facility. So for treating residents who like are suffering from psychosis and substance abuse. And his family believed that staying there was better than being in jail, which I agree. Agreed, yes. 
he sent an email to his friends and his friends shared that email with his dad. But the email said, the core of the story is that I was involved in a fight. My actions were self-defense, but my means were a glass bottle. After a few court dates, a stint in county jail, and the realization that there is no self-defense law in California, I am back on my feet and doing well. The court case is still ongoing, but from what we're hearing, it has a very good chance of getting dropped outright or disappearing with time served. On a side note, we are pleading rehab to avoid trial. And then he put in quotes, addicted to marijuana. What a trip. Um, And then he said that being addicted to marijuana didn't fly with the trained counselors and fellow addicts. So he switched and pretended to be addicted to alcohol and then said that demon rum, man, it possessed me. And so they started to believe him. They're like, oh, yeah, you did have a drinking problem. But I think he was he wanted to stay at this treatment facility. He didn't want to go back to jail. And like one like it's a sub like part of it's a substance abuse place. So he was like, oh, yeah, I, too, am addicted. Uh, to I, too, things. am an addict, please. Which is so sad that yeah. you're at that point where you're like, but I also understand that probably from that treatment facility's point of view, that there are other people who probably wanted to get in there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, this is back in 2012. And I mean, we still have this problem with mental health in America. Um, I know firsthand that you could call a therapist right now and say, I feel like self-harming and their main response is going to be go to the hospital. Go to the ER. Yeah, 100%. And then you have an ER bill on top of (laughs) <laughs> everything else like it's like, and if you can't get there then you have an ambulance bill on top of mm-hmm. your er bill like mm-hmm. it's gross. because a lot of people don't want to go to the hospital for it they want to go to a treatment facility they want to go to like they want to go inpatient they want to do all these things they just want help and the mental the mental health crisis in america is something that literally makes me sick to my stomach because i experience it firsthand it is nauseating yeah like it's it's gross. I mean, we've had this talk about it outside of the podcast, like just how hard it is to really have to get mental health help in America. To get mental health help, to find a care provider that is like understands where you're coming from mm-hmm. and levels with you and isn't, you know, too much or too little of something. It's, it's And it's hard to find someone that's not talking down to you. Like, I mean, I finally found a therapist. It took a long time, but you go is you know, you're successful in adulting, I guess would be the word. So like you're Mm -hmm. trying to explain the struggles that you have and they're like, but you're actually doing pretty well. It's like, no, you're not doing well. I'm struggling. Like your coping mechanism, just because your coping mechanisms are healthy does not mean you are. Yes. And it's um, like, I remember having the conversation. It's like, oh no, I'm not thinking about self-harm. I'm just telling you if a bus came and hit me, I wouldn't move. Like (laughs) I've just... Just Just stay there and accept my fate. Like, yeah. And then it's just like, oh, okay. Do you need to go to the hospital? It's like, no, I don't. Is there another option? (laughs) What is it to be? What's behind? Is there another door? Like, (laughs) any other door, please. Ah, and I joke about it because it's so sad. (laughs) We laugh so we don't cry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And despite the questionable diagnosis and treatment for a disease that he didn't think he had, you know, as far as like being addicted to anything, his mental state did improve after being at Ridgeview for a few months. Um, One of his final journal 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 entries from July of 2012 said felt more whole today, more complete, 
like parts of myself had been stolen in my sleep and scattered all over the world, and now they've begun to return. I'm more determined than ever now. I'll face what I am. I'll face what I was, which is sad. It is sad. sad. And he was still facing serious jail time for the bottle assault. His lawyer was trying to get him a deal and said that he could spend an entire year at Ridgeview instead of going to jail. But Lewis was so confident that his case would be dropped because in his head, he's like, this is self-defense. This was self-defense. He fired his lawyer and acted as his own attorney. No, why? Mm -hmm. He thought that he would just, you know, he thought he would just spend a few days in jail and then just go about his life. But he was sentenced to a year in jail and hauled right back to Twin Towers. But California and Again, a trouble, a problem we see everywhere across the country. Jails are overcrowded. So he only spent about six weeks in jail before he was released on September 21st. The night he got out, he checked himself into the Los Feliz Hotel at Atwater Village. The next day, he spent the day with his dad. His dad was helping him shop for new clothes, drove him to the valley to pick up his motorcycle. And it was at this point that he had asked his dad to call Kathy Davis so that he could get his room back at the writer's villa. And you're like, what is the writer's villa? And I'm going to tell you. The writer's villa was a house in the hills for famous creative people. The house was described as luxurious Yet, homie, there were five guest bedrooms and the dead mom of sorts, Catherine Davis, known as Miss Kathy. Um, Miss Kathy had moved from Texas to L.A. in the 1950s. She attended UCLA. She worked for various publishing companies before marrying James Davis. After she gave birth to her daughter in 1958, her and her husband purchased this house. By the 1980s, she was divorced and her daughter, writer Margaret Leslie Davis, was all grown up and moved out. So she began a career as a successful real estate agent. And she would use this house as kind of like a holding spot for people who were waiting for houses to clear or whatever. Um, it was like a like a landing spot for these people moving to LA. Okay. But over the time, her home evolved into one of those arrangements that you would only really see in LA. It was kind of like an extended bed and breakfast, um, up and coming performers, directors, writers. Val Kilmer lived there. Uh, Taylor Negron lived there. Matt Bomber lived there. Um, So they would just stay there as they were going to jobs and doing like callbacks and all of these things. And she would like host them. She was described by everyone who had ever lived there as a saint. And uh, Lewis had lived there back in 2009. And then he had moved out when... Like with all of his sons of anarchy things, he was like living on his own. And then he had his daughter. Um, So Lewis's dad, Michael, called Miss Kathy to get a spot for him at the writer's villa. He said, quote, it didn't occur to me to say, oh, by the way, he's having problems. He says he thought this is a place he was familiar with. They will give him a lot of love, which is what she did. Like she loved everyone who lived there. Like she was like a second mom to most of these people. She said that she would make sure his old room would be ready for him. They called it the red room. Um, These rooms would rent between like $1,600 and $3,000 a month. They had a room, a private bathroom, a little sitting area. This was a huge house. you know. Yeah, it sounds like it's a huge house. Like it's it's not like here. <laughs> like here you get a bedroom and a shared bathroom. <laughs> Originally, Michael Davis wanted his son to move to return to Ridgeview. 
but because, you know, because he had so much progress there. But Lewis was like, no, that's not happening. So his dad thought the writer's villa would be the next best thing because it was a place full of love and support. Five days after leaving jail, on September 26, 2012, Lewis, locked, Lewis knocked on the door of former NBC newsman Dave Blackburn and said, hi, I'm John, your new neighbor. But what freaked Dan out was that he had spent the last 15 minutes watching Lewis pace outside in just his jeans and red shoes. He was dripping in sweat. So Dan was like, hi, nice okay. to meet you, John. Hi. And then Lewis just abruptly walked away, just turned and like, shoot. 30 minutes later, he heard the screams of his wife, Gloria, and rushed to find Lewis on top of the house painter that had been doing work on the first level of their house. He was just pummeling this painter with his fist. Dan Blackburn stepped in to grab Lewis off of him because Lewis is not a big guy. He's like 5'10", like small frame. Like he's not like this big, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like okay. monstrous guy. He's like, I would say, you know, just an average. Just an average, dude. average, not an average, average dude. fella. Um, when he went to grab Lewis off of the painter, he, Lewis just turned around and punched him right in the eye, knocking Blackburn to the ground. He said that his... Blackburn said that Lewis's expression was flat, his gaze was distant, and he seemed to have superhuman strength. He didn't even flinch as Blackburn landed a punch on his right temple. And Blackburn's like in his 70s. So this guy is like beaten ass. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. Look, you're like, he's in his 70s and he didn't even flinch when he hit him in the temple. But like, how much how much power is a guy in his 70s packing? Dude, you know? my grandpa lived to be in his 70s, <laughs> and he was a former boxer, and he had some power. Like, I would not That's mess fair. with that man. Like, you never know. Like, I would not. Times somebody, are different. You could <laughs> lie to me. You could say, I was a former boxer, and be like, I'm out. Cool. Yeah, like, I, I don't even want to mess with that. It's like, nah, nah, son, that ain't that ain't for me. And his hands, like, you could tell, because, like, my grandpa had, like, these giant hands, like, and his knuckles had been, like, broken. And you have to think, back in, like, the 50s, people fought with their fists a lot more than what we do now. <laughs> It's like, a different time. It is a different time. Haven't you seen like uh, The Outsiders? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Stay golden, pony boy. Shit was crazy back then. I would not. Any person who, as we call them now, boomers or even like Gen X, I don't fuck with them. I don't mess no, with them. I feel like them. you will beat me every single time unless like I sneak a lucky punch <laughs> in or something. If it's a game of the wits, I'm in. I got I you. Do that. But. If you want to actually fight me, it's a hard no. It's not. Yeah, it's a hard no. So he didn't flinch when Blackburn hit him in the temple. He was stunned to the point of the, like, backing off a little bit because Blackburn hit him with a chair. So the th Blackburn, his wife, and the painter were able to run inside to try to escape. And it was like a scene from a horror movie. Like, he, Lewis had his arm in the door trying to get access it sounds uh, like the, WWE, like, yeah. it's scary. The three of them were slamming the door onto his arm. They slammed the door on his arm four times before he, like, snaked his arm out of there, and they were able to barricade themselves inside. Um, they said that when they were able to do that, he just, like, ran away. He just leaped over a waist-high fence, like, just, it was, like, it was nothing. What? And ran, ran into the writer's villa. When the police arrived just several minutes later, the scene that they stumbled on was horrific. Lewis laid dead in the middle of the driveway. His skull was completely cracked in half with his, 
his left eye socket caved in. What? Yeah. Inside, the scene was even worse. Walking upstairs from the first floor, investigators had to step over broken glass before entering a large bedroom, which would be determined to be Lewis's room. And I'm going to give you a trigger warning because this is pretty brutal and I'm going to talk about some animal cruelty. So if you're like, that's it for me, you might want to skip ahead a little bit. Um, In his room, they found a rusty hammer with traces of blood on it. Following the broken glass and blood, they found themselves in the attached bathroom where they discovered the body of a dead cat in the shower covered in blood and literally torn apart. Oh my God. Across the hall from Lewis's room was Miss Kathy's room. There was blood on her bed frame, the wall, the table, and the chair. On the floor next to the bed laid her body. There was blunt force trauma to her head, her entire skull was fractured and obliterated the left side of her face was completely obliterated Um, her brain was exposed brain and tissue matter was on the floor around her her face was covered in blood her nose was split down the middle and her upper jaw was split open there were yeah there was also four small puncture wounds in her left cheek which they assumed was from a mechanical pencil that was found beside her body. The official report that was released a couple months later was that Davis had died from blunt force trauma. There were other, they're not sure. The um, hammer was used in some capacity, but they believe that all of her cat, Davis, that 90% of the things were done with just Lewis's hands and feet. Uh, investigators believe that right after he introduced himself to Blackburn, Lewis went back to the house and confronted Kathy Davis. There, no one knows what pissed him off or set him off to the point that he would do this to someone he loved. But the biggest rumor surround, excuse me, surrounding it was that, um, he had turned the fuse box off the night before, just like he did in his parents' home. And Kathy Davis confronted him and was like, hey, you can't do that. Like, you can't mm-hmm. turn off the fuse to the entire house. Um, Lewis had punched Davis several times and then strangled her with his bare hands. Um, the force of the beatings was so severe that investigators believe that Lewis may have stomped on her skull, and then he proceeded to kill her cat in the shower. Moments later, investigators believe that he went back out. So that's when he attacked the house painter. Um, Blackburn said that when... Lewis ran off it was like he spider-man climbed back into the villa like it was like not normal movements that he was making he then ascended to either the upper patio or the roof it is unsure but he either jumped or slipped his death was officially ruled an accident and not a suicide when the news broke of the murder and Lewis's subsequent death The general consensus was that he had been on bath salts or a designer drug called Smiles, which is a psychedelic medicine. Like I've never heard of it. That sounds a lot more expensive than the drugs that I'm used to. But it's like a pill or a powder that's mixed with chocolate. And it has been linked to a series of suicides and overdoses. I had never heard of it before this. Um, And for two months, that was the belief. Because you think of like you see the bath salt guy in, you know, the bath salt cannibal in Florida. You see things like... This was peak time when everyone was talking about like bath salts and he had like this, you know, he was described as having like superhuman strength, like this rage was unlike him. But two months later, sorry, Smiles is um, 
combination or it has effects like a strong combination of ecstasy and LSD. Oof. Mm. Sounds like a bad time. Yeah. Two months later, though, his toxicology report came back completely clear. He had no drugs, no alcohol. Not even um, his prescribed antipsychotics were in his system. Well, clearly. No. Yeah. Like no marijuana, nothing. Literally had nothing in his system. Dude, that's nuts. Mm Mm-hmm. What happened? It's like he was possessed. Yeah. Like, obviously, his behavior was getting more erratic as time wore on, and it probably was just like a psychotic break. But to go from uh, never having hurt anyone to literally ripping a cat into pieces? With your bare hands. With your bare hands? Uh, I don't even like to tear my chicken strips apart. Like, uh, No, it's horrific. And... A lot of the, because I've read, I mean, even going back and reading articles now, there are still some articles that's like in drug-fueled rage, but like it wasn't a drug-fueled rage. I I don't know. Like I don't want to spec, because honestly, the real victim here is Kathy Davis. Like she suffered a horrific end. For no reason. For no reason. And all she had ever done her entire life is help people, love people, support people. And that should be what the focus is on. Like, she did not deserve what happened to her. Yeah, absolutely Um, not. She was such a solid person for so many of the stars that we love today. Um, Taylor, I think you said Negron. Negron. You know who he is. Uh, Look up his face. You'll know exactly who he is. But he said that over time, because he did um, a huge write-up for Exo Jane. And I remember reading this write-up back in the day, but... I don't even know if that website's there anymore. I could not find the full write-up anywhere, and it infuriated me because it was beautifully written, pretty much saying the same thing. Like, I'm saying, like, uh, the focus should be on her. Like, her life was robbed, you know? And he said that over time, he stayed in every room of the house and became part of the household, made up of equally eccentric types that came to Lowy Road to stay while in artistic transient or retreat. Um, Kathy was always catering meals for us from local restaurants. And long after I moved out, I would attend these long dinners on her flagstone terrace where you would meet Dutch movie stars or violin soloists from Japan. Actors and writers put their best face forward as Kathy demonstrated to them that their dreams were not far from reach. And he said that like, if there was, you know, an actress or an actor who you know, didn't have a good audition, who didn't get a callback. She was like there with open arms waiting for them to comfort them and to ensure them like, you know, just keep going. You got this. And it's just heartbreaking, especially when you can't be like, oh, yeah, he was on drugs. And that is what fueled this. Like that is what that mental break was. But to for the results to come up and be like, and everybody just be like, oh, like, well, what the fuck we... causes that kind of carnage? Yeah. Like it's insane. Is crazy, but I do think if not all of it, a portion of this has to be caused by a traumatic brain injury, or it triggered. You know, I don't know, like a chem. I don't. I don't even know if this is possible. So again, don't come at me like (laughs) um, a chemical imbalance in his brain after that. Like, did that cause like some of these like psychotic behaviors, the psychosis, this schizophrenia, like like just like an acute, you know, mm -hmm. quick like a quick onset of. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like a disorder. Sure. I don't know. But it's that scary. And it, uh-huh. uh, yeah, it's super wild. I feel like I should have heard of this before. I've never. Really? Yeah. 
I remember when he died because Kurt Sutter posted something to like Instagram and it was kind of like, oh, this is heartbreaking, but I saw it coming and I remember seeing it and being like, whoa, that's a little off base, like <laughs> a little out of <laughs> Until now that you see it and you're like. And then I read about it and I was like, holy shit, that wasn't harsh enough. Like this is absolutely insane. And then when they had the result, like there was no drugs in his system because I for sure thought it was basalt. <laughs> like this like, guy's for absolutely sure. eating his basalts. Um, I was thinking about how he was on this, you know, very successful TV show, and then you know how Kurt Sutter was like, "Oh yeah, he just wanted to be written off of it because he didn't want to be on violent TV." But that does sound like a very like maybe manic, not thinking long term decision. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I'm, well, I I'm also, in this big TV show, but I don't want to do violent TV. I want to be in this thing only, so I'm gonna quit. Like I also thought, um, again, speaking from experience, uh, maybe he wasn't actively using bath salts or any of that, but there are like people who stay in these like prolonged drug-induced psychosis after doing drugs like that. And don't say it doesn't happen because I'm here to tell you that like I know firsthand it does happen. Like I have seen it. Someone in my family has experienced this and his was spice like it was a spice thing. And after he had like a he had a really bad trip on it, like whatever it was, he had done a little bit of bath salts too. He has never been the same since. Yeah. I mean, it definitely affects your brain chemistry. Oh, that's so maybe scary. It- yeah, I don't fuck around with that kind of stuff. <laughs> no. I, got, I draw the line at bath salts, man. Like <laughs> My line is way before bath salts. <laughs> I mean, I'd go way before that, too. Scotty's like, like, I'll try anything once, but not bath salts, man. <laughs> that is kind of how I have lived my life, though. I'll try anything <laughs> once. But nothing like LSD, nah, son. Bath salts, nah, son. Things that are going to affect me, like even like, heroin where they're like oh one shot and you're addicted i'm like sounds like something i don't want to try like no thank you um i want to end this on with a little palate cleanser of sorts (laughs) as as one does after you hear about a cracked brain on cement um my daughter is obsessed with my fake fingernails and i as one does when you have adhd i have picked them all off they had a good run. Gross. It was like a month. So I picked off all of my fake nails and I'm like, I'm going to give my nails a breather. We're going to try again. I do like wearing them, but I just, once one is it's off, a lot. I can't. Once one no, is off, I'm I can't. You. I'm like, rip them all off. If one, if I have nails and one chips, I'm like, these are done. You're yep. coming off. Oh. Coming off. Now my toenail polish, like I'll leave. It's like half dead from like summers <laughs> it's ago. It's gone. Like, whatever. Like, I, when did I even paint that toe? But my daughter has asked me, like I have, like I would pop one off and she was by me and she's like, oh, I'll throw it away. And I was like, here you go. And I give it to her to throw she's away. not throwing them away. No way. She has a treasure chest, a little wooden treasure. <laughs> I found it last night. And by found it, I mean she brought it to me very proud as I gave her the last nail of mine that had popped off. And she brought me this little tiny treasure chest full of my fake fingernails. <laughs> like from just like this one and previous fake nails or just well there are eight purple nails and then two white ones so she found the two white ones those were the originals (laughs) where did she find them at i don't know like i don't know i 
one of them was in the garage. Like I remember my, cause like my husband's building his office out there. And I remember popping it off out there and then just like throwing it on the ground. Like this is the garage sex <laughs> territory. Just, just gross girl stuff. Just gross just, like, girl stuff. Gross, <laughs> gross girl stuff. I was feeling my lunch. <laughs> it never affect me again. Until my daughter finds it, puts it in a treasure chest. And is like, in her little, look at my treasures. <laughs> yeah. No, I found weird stuff like that. Like, uh, sit. Our daughters are the same age, and mm-hmm. she reached in her pocket and just pulled out like absolute shards of broken glass. And I was like, oh. And she was like, mom, look at my treasure. And I was like, oh, wow. She was like, I found it after I broke it. I was just like, thank you. <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, we cannot just keep broken glass in our pocket. I love you, please. What did you break? And she was like, mm-hmm. I don't know what she broke, but. And then is I she, found it. Are they Libras? What are they? Uh, Mine's a Virgo. I think what yours is? is a Libra, though, because yeah, 20th, uh, yeah. it's 18th, 24th. Oh, so they're like the cusp. They have a little <laughs> bit of both. <laughs> like, right Maybe here. they're just psychopaths. 100 percent both since we've been recording both of our kids have come in and asked if they could watch us and we both have to be like no honey this is scary we can't yeah you can't you can't watch this you can't watch us do this like you're already like mommy talks about murder for work Mm -hmm. yeah you're collecting fingernails where have you (laughs) from standing outside the door i showed my husband like i he was like in my current office like on his computer and I was like get out she fell asleep like in my arms and I was like get out here I have to show you this and he like came out thought it was going to be like an emergency and I just opened the treasure chest <laughs> he was like what the fuck are those I was like my fingernails he was like I know she's, I've heard you tell she's them she's collecting so like, my body parts <laughs> she's so proud of them she and it's like what do I do I have to let her keep them <laughs> you could uh She's going to make like a weird little necklace out of them, a bracelet of mommy's old fingernails. But I think (laughs) friends in the family, because my mother-in-law told me that my husband carried around his younger brother's umbilical cord for two years. Mm. So For two years? (laughs) Years. No, two days (laughs) is fine. Like, oh, that's just a cute little boy thing. Two years is not healthy. Something's wrong. You need to get out. (laughs) I've never been more convinced in my life. It's like, you go, leave the daughter, take the boys. Actually, just take the middle one. The oldest one's got too smart of a mouth. He can stay, too, in this house of horrors. Little shop of horrors. Little shop of horrors. Oh, wow. That's but speaking, great. I love them. They're so weird. But on shop, go to our website because Meg released a bunch of dope ass merchandise and it's my fave and I'm obsessed. And it was a surprise to me, too. So we can shop. <laughs> it's um our Barbie gruesome logo because the Barbie movie's coming out and I do love Barbie things or just girly things in general. <laughs> hey, girly pop. Uh, But there's a crop top. There's a coffee mug. Have you got your crop top? No, I haven't got it yet, but I ordered the crop top. I ordered the mug. I ordered the ball cap, which is my favorite. The ball cap is is everything. I have like four things in my car, but as one does, I'll get to it when I have a burst of my own I need to buy this thing. Well, you uh, you have to wait until I get mine so I can like show you. Yeah, I need to see how it fits the crop top specifically because I'm, I got a long torso. Uh, Same. I got a large. I got a large in the crop top. Okay. So I'll let you. I'll the other one do- fit good. I love my other gruesome crop. I never got one of those and I'm mad about yeah. it. But I think it's the same style. Okay, sick. 
because when we did those crop tops, they sold out like uh-huh. that style sold out and we just couldn't ever get them back. So this was the new style, but they didn't have any darker colors. It was only like white. Dude, or the white. I love. Are we going to wear matching gruesome crop tops to Tangy Mac Sunday in July? Uh, yeah, I would say so. I'd say that that's a mandatory thing that we have to do. I now. have hot pink uh, shorts coming for Taylor Swift that I'm going <gasps> to be dazzle. So they're going to be. Yes, they would match perfectly. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Sick. Oh, yes. And I have my pink fans. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. I just, just ordered these uh, Steve Madden, like, multicolored shoes from, they were surprisingly on Walmart. That place has fucking everything these days. <laughs> but I'm also going to bedazzle the white parts of those for the Taylor Swift concert. So I'm so, so excited for you. When, when, did, when is your Taylor Swift concert? June 30th. This month. I get to go see Taylor Swift this month. Oh my gosh. It's coming so soon. I'm so And then I get to see Shania Twain two weeks later. I'm honestly just as excited. Are you going to Indy for that one? Mm-hmm. Sure mm-hmm. am. My brother will be there, but I will not. Ooh, I'm going to shotgun a beer with him. Uh, he would he would fucking love that. Yeah. Please send me a video of it happening. I'll be like, look at this. <laughs> I'll be like, fuck you guys. <laughs> All right, guys. On that note, see Bye. you next time. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster-powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should, click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers. And if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcast on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.